Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. We are, uh, we are not finished with the birthday business yet. So as you know, my father-in-law, Bill Crago, it is his birthday today. He's 75 years old. Uh, I'm sorry, 55, 55, <laughs> excuse me. Got mixed up a minute there. Um, so the last thing we're going to do is, ushers, if you would, please make your way forward. We're going to take a love offering for Bill Crego. <laughs> ushers, you didn't even respond to that. You guys are trained so well. Uh, you know, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming in. I know it's the weekend after the busy holiday, Christmas. Um, you know, in light of that, I have to say, today I just want to share probably the most important things b- besides celebrating the birth of Jesus that I really enjoy is, is not the gifts, although those are great. It is the food. Um, and I indulge quite a bit in food. This, uh, as I normally do, my uh, mother-in-law, Nancy, will probably um, testify to that. Um, but you know what? I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts about Christmas, dinner, Thanksgiving, dinner is the desserts. I love pie. Now, I don't know about you, but... Some people have other desserts. Um, how many of you would say that for your dessert spread, you had fresh cut fruit? Any hands? One, one person. Scott, Scott I, I commend you. That is awesome. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I had a friend a couple years back. He was, uh, he was Portuguese, and so I went to his house for... Uh, a couple meals. I had meals a few times with his family. And, you know, the food is awesome. I love exotic food. I love any kind of strange food that you got. If it's Portuguese, like, I had never had it before, so I was asking them, what's this? What's in this? There was something about cow stomach at one point. I ate it. It was amazing in a weird way. But um, so I had it, right? And then we get to the end of the meal, and at the end of the meal, the father says, all right, let's have dessert. I'm thinking, man, what kind of Portuguese dessert spreads are we going to get? It's going to be amazing, right? It's going to be so good. You know what they brought out? Fresh cut fruit. And I have to be honest, I went from like here exciting to like, I know what that is. That's kind of boring. Who eats fresh cut fruit for dessert? Everybody but Americans, apparently. Everybody but Americans eat fresh cut fruit for dessert. And you know what? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, fruit is sweet. It's nutritious. I mean, it's, it's not too heavy, which is kind of nice, so it doesn't overfill you. But as Americans, we love to have a full belly. So you know what we do? We take our fruit. Yeah, it might even be fresh, and we'll cut it. But then we'll put butter and sugar, and we'll put it into a pie. That's how we have dessert in America. And I say, amen to that. That's awesome. But for the majority of our time, you know, that's great for holidays, but I'm thinking maybe this is a good idea. Let's have fruit. we got to have fruit anyways. Let's make it the dessert, you know? So fruit. Let's talk a little bit more about fruit. Fruit is, as I said, sweet. It's nutritious. It's very good for you. As we know, in our modern culture, worldwide, fruit is often associated with a healthy lifestyle, is it not? So somebody is an active, healthy person. You see an image of them. If they're not exercising... They're either, and they're eating, they're either eating vegetables or fruit, because fruit is often associated with a healthy lifestyle. You know, it's funny, the scriptures, the Bible, we're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus, and in it, Jesus is going to use the fruit, a fruit, uh, a fruit tree particularly, to illustrate a spiritual truth to us, and in the Bible, the script, the, the fruit is used um, oftentimes as an illustration 
of a healthy, spiritually healthy, rather, person. Fruit, from the scripture standpoint, is often associated with the plant. Fruit, a large, sweet fruit, is the illustration of a, of a vibrant, healthy plant. And so, in the scriptures, fruit is often illustrated to illustrate that a person who has spiritual fruit, you know, fruit of the spirit stuff, Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things, they are there and operative in a person who has a vibrant spiritual life. And the fruit is large and sweet, nourishing to their lives and to the lives of those who interact with them. So, thinking about sweet fruit, vibrant spiritual life. I want to get honest with you, and I would like you to get honest with me, just, just in your heart. Let me ask you a question. If I was to say, if I was to ask you, would you say your spiritual life is vibrant? And are you experiencing sweet spiritual fruit? What would be your answer right now? Let me qualify that maybe a little bit for you. Vibrant spiritual life, sweet fruit. Are you experiencing God on a daily basis? By that, are you, are you understanding more about who he is? Is that affecting you? Are you experiencing uh, change in your life? Are you, seeing, are you seeing and understanding how God is at work in you and at work in others? And because of that, you want to be a part of what he's doing. You're actually praying in line with what you understand who God is. And as you're praying, you're starting to see him answering and bringing change in your life and in others' lives. And it's an exciting, amazing thing. Are you experiencing God in your life? Is your Bible study, time in the Word alone, how's that going for you? How's your prayer life? Are you experiencing God? See, what we're going to talk about today is that a vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit is available to every one of us and should be, can be, active at work right now. You could be experiencing it. So I want to ask once more, would you say your spiritual life is vibrant and are you experiencing the sweet fruit of it right now? You know, if you were to answer, I would imagine you might say something like this. Some of you might be here today and you might say, absolutely, Jeff, my life is amazing right now. I am definitely having a vibrant spiritual life. This is what's going on in my life. Yes, I have sweet spiritual fruit active. It is amazing. And for you, I am so happy that you're here. And the reason why is because I believe God wants you to learn something so important so that that life is not something that gets robbed from you. You might be a person here today and you might be saying, you know what, Jeff, i got to be honest, spiritual life, I don't even know if I have that. Vibrant, I'm just trying to survive. Fruit, man, if I could eat some fruit, that would be good right about now. I, things are rough. i to be honest, things are rough. And for you, I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest and that's where you're at, I'm especially glad that you're here. Because today, Jesus is going to give us the, the understanding of how to start a spiritual life and how to maintain that. And so you need to hear what God might be saying to you today. Then I think there's a third group. The third group is probably what, what would be the group that I would classify myself uh, as being in. And that is, you would say, Jeff, my spiritual life is good. 
yeah, I'm experiencing God. Yeah, there's fruit in my life. But for, you to, for me to qualify it as vibrant, no, nah, it's good. Say that I have sweet spiritual fruit in my life, it's there, but I don't know if it's sweet. I don't think I could say my life is vibrant spiritually, and I could not say that my spiritual fruit would be sweet. If that's where you're at, I want you to understand this, that Jesus, as we talk through this, this message today, he is going to directly talk to you about what might be robbing you of a sweet spiritual life, a vibrant spiritual life, and its sweet fruit. And he's going to do that uh, from a story. We're going to go to Mark chapter 11, and um, that's a page 1167 in your pew Bibles if, you, uh, if you're going there. Um, those of you who are online, it's, it's Mark chapter 11. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. And to set the stage a little bit for you, what I want you to understand is that this is the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus is on his, is, is, is literally, it's, sometimes it's called the Passion Week, he is on his way to the cross. This is a part of the record in Mark's Gospel of the last seven days of Jesus' life. The day before, Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a, on a donkey, fulfilling a bunch of prophecy that had been given hundreds of years beforehand about him. And on his way in, people are hailing him as the king of the Jews. People are saying, Hosanna, blessed be the, God, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They are, they are expecting him to walk straight up to the temple and to take the throne. Instead, he walks into um, actually, he's going to go to the, yeah, the, the palace, not the temple. Instead, he goes to the temple. And he goes to the temple, and it's really weird. Like, the script, Mark records that Jesus doesn't even say anything. He just kind of walks around and looks. We don't know how long he was there. We don't know what he was doing. All we know is that he just, just was there. How would you be, feel if you were one of the disciples with him that day? I mean, they were walking behind him as people were hailing him as the king, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're with him, yeah. Yeah, we're going to the throne, yep. I can't wait to see what I'm going to be, what's Jesus going to make me? And then he walks around the temple and doesn't say a thing. There would be a point where I would start to distance myself a little bit from Jesus and say, or, or Jesus, what, what are we doing? What's going on? But at some point, Jesus just says, all right, guys, I don't even know if he says it. Maybe he just walked out of the temple. He walks and he heads to a town called Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. He spends the night. The next morning, we pick up our story. This is the next morning. He rounds up his disciples and he says, hey guys, we're heading back to Jerusalem. And so they get together and they walk towards Jerusalem. And we pick up in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And it says this. Now the next day, when they, this is the disciples, had come out from Bethany, he, that's Jesus, was hungry, forgot breakfast. So, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. Now, that's really important. Fig trees, now I don't know a lot about fig trees, um, but what I do know is this, when a fig tree has leaves on it, what that typically means is that there is fruit there. It, it, they're little green fruits. And so Jesus sees this fig tree, and when he sees this fig tree, he sees what appears to be a tree that should have fruit on it. And so he expects to find his breakfast. And so he goes to the tree. Look what happens. He went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. Now, 
What that means is, fig trees have seasons, right? But what we do know about fig trees is typically once the leaves start, the fruits start quite shortly thereafter. And so here is Jesus. Jesus sees these, this tree, and Jesus says, ah, oh, sweet, breakfast. But come on, guys, let's go get some breakfast. No fruit. Now, I would be kind of bummed about it. Look what Jesus says, verse 14. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now, I would have heard that for sure, because I would have thought at that moment, note to self, next time Jesus says, hey, Jeff, go into the city, round us up some grub, bring it back, and let's have some breakfast. And if I don't do it just the way he said and come back, I don't want to end up like that fig tree. Just saying. So, they were kind of weirded out by that. And you know what? Things just get a little weirder. As they go into the city, we're not going to read it, but we're uh, going to talk about it. He goes into the temple again. Now, this time, he doesn't just walk around the temple. This time, he goes crazy Jesus on them. He starts throwing, temple, throwing tables. He starts cursing out, essentially, uh, the religious leaders there. He's telling them things like, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. Now, if you were the disciples today, you would be saying, wait, Jesus, I thought we were going to go take the throne. Wait, Jesus, I thought you're king. Now you're going to get us killed. I would be really uncomfortable being around Jesus at that point. And then at some point, he just says, all right, guys, after he throws everything around, gets things all messed up, he says, we're going to head back home, back to Bethany, stay the night at Bethany. And they spend the night again at Bethany. And at some point, they wake up. We start off, and we're going to jump to verse 20. At some point, they wake up, and Jesus gets them up and says, now in the morning... They start heading back to Jerusalem. Says, all right, we're going to head back. As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Translation, it was withered and dead. You know, what's, what's weird is, is Jesus didn't say, may you wither and die, did he? He said, may no one ever eat of your fruit again. And it, remember, it said the disciples remembered it. They heard it. And so, verse 21, Peter, representing the disciples, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, and now I'm going to try and convey the inquisitive nature of this statement. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Why? See, Peter heard that he, that he cursed the fig tree, but he, he didn't expect to see the fig tree dead, and neither did any of the disciples. And so he's kind of confused about this. And so he's looking for Jesus to answer him. And so Jesus does in verse 22. Look what he says. He says, So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Anybody else? I mean, some of you serious Bible students, some of you uh, Christians that have been been Christians for a long time, I know you're like, oh yeah, amen. Have faith in God. How many uh, uh, people here right now are kind of like, I'm confused, just honest. Give me, give me a hand. I got one, two. All right, so you, us three, we're the only ones that, that are, are just being honest right now. Everybody else just doesn't want to raise their hand. Um, have faith in God. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. He says, have faith in God. Now, why would he do that? Well, he goes on. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, verse 23, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. 
What are you talking about, Jesus? All right, well, let's talk a little bit more about the fig tree. Remember in the beginning of our talk today, I said the fig tree, fruit in particular, typically demonstrates or typically is used to illustrate a person, the spiritual life of a person. So Jesus is the best teacher that has ever walked the face of the earth, the greatest teacher ever. So he is actually taking this fig tree and he is going to use it as an illustration of a person. Now, here's the deal. What you also need to know is Mark was very particular in the accounts that he, that he recorded in his gospel. He was very intentional, and the Holy Spirit inspiring him was also very intentional. See, Jesus, it's, it's very important. It's not just a chronological event, but, but Jesus going to Jerusalem, looking at the temple, Jesus seeing a fig tree which had leaves that looks, that indicates that that person should have spiritual fruit in their lives, does not... And then he goes to the temple, sees the, the religious leaders of the day um, abusing the role that God has given them in the temple, curses them out, goes home, comes back to Jerusalem on the way, sees this fig tree, the fig tree's dead, here's an opportunity for Jesus to teach about spiritual life. And he goes on after this, and we know that that's what Jesus is doing, because as he goes on later, he starts giving all of these these lessons about the spiritual leaders. He's basically saying, listen, don't listen to what the spiritual leaders here tell you. They're spiritually dead. They don't have any life. Their words have no life. Do not follow them. My words have life. See, what Jesus wants us to understand, what Mark is trying to record here, is the difference between a spiritually alive person and a religious dead person. See, someone who has true religion and someone who just has the appearance of spirituality, the appearance of religiousness, the appearance of what should be spiritual fruit in their life. But upon closer inspection, scratch a little bit under the surface, what you find is there's no fruit at all. Furthermore, what you find is that they're actually spiritually dead. And so Jesus gives us the remedy. He says, do you want a real spiritual life? You want, you want real, vibrant spiritual life? You want real sweet fruit? Have faith in God. The starting point is faith. That takes us back to a couple weeks ago, our Conversations with Jesus uh, series. One of them, uh, Jesus was having a conversation with a man at the Pool of Bethesda. He was a crippled man. He was looking to be healed. And basically, the context was healing. The context was answer to prayer. The context was breakthrough. The answer that Jesus gives is, believe God. And do what he says. So we're not going to talk a whole lot about this part of, this, of, of what Jesus is saying here, other than to just say that what Jesus is saying here is essentially the same message. If you want to have a vibrant spiritual life, you want to have its sweet fruit, it starts with believing God and doing what he says. And so this whole conversation about having um, the ability to move mountains, that phrase was a common phrase in the day. That phrase was, was used of rabbinical teaching at that time. What it meant was it, was it was used to associate, like they would talk about a rabbi and they'd say, man, that, that, that rabbi's teaching can move mountains. His life is a mountain-moving spiritual life. It was, it, was, it was hyperbole. It was meant to be an illustration of a, of a kind of overcoming spiritual life. And Jesus says, you want real overcoming spiritual life? Believe God and do what he says. Now, that kind of leaves us where we started, right? Kind of leaves us at the beginning of our message, where some of us are here and are saying, you know what? My life is vibrant, and I am experiencing 
the sweet spiritual fruit of it. Some of us are here and we're saying, you know what, I don't even know if I have that. Well, it starts with believing God and doing what he says. And so that first and foremost means you've got to believe God about what he says about who you are. If you're not sure if you have a relationship with God, it starts with understanding that you are a sinner and that God has to judge sin. He loves you, and so because of that, he has judged his son in your place. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you never could live, die on the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead, victorious over the grave, offering you the opportunity to be made right with God. So if you're not sure if you have a spiritual life at all, it starts with believing God that he has made a way for you to be made right with him and doing what he says, calling upon Jesus alone, trusting him alone to save you. But some of us are here today, and some of us are here saying, Jeff, I know I'm a Christian. Jeff, I know I'm even believing God and doing what he says. I am active in my Bible study, prayer. I mean, I'm doing it all. I'm going to church. I mean, maybe you're, I mean, I went through Olympians. I mean, I got membership. I got bronze, silver, gold. I mean, I did youth group. I, I, I got service, Christian services. I mean, I've, been, I, I've got my scholarship to the BI. I mean, I just went even did the BI. Maybe you're kind of like, well, I've just been a Christian for a few years, but I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm doing, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I mean, even staying here for the gross time. I'm coming Wednesday nights. I mean, I'm doing it, but vibrant spiritual life, sweet spiritual fruit? I'm not there, Jeff. I might have been at a time, but right now that's not where I'm at. Well, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't end the message right there? Jesus doesn't end his lesson right there. In this account, Mark records at least one other thing Jesus said. And it's really important that what, that what we hear is, is what Jesus is getting at. That, yeah, a vibrant spiritual life and its sweet spiritual fruit is available, but there are things that can rob you of a vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. And so Jesus wants his disciples to know that, and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this account was recorded so that people like you and I could know this too. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, Jeff. Are you you serious? We're going to talk about forgiveness? Yeah, we're going to do that because that's what Jesus is doing here. Remember, this whole conversation is around this fig tree. So, let's talk about fruit a little bit more. Again, I gave you the, the fruit of the Spirit, which if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, right? But you know, every translation that I looked at that was um, trying to get as close to a literal translation or a thought for thought, it typically starts out with this uh, word in the front of the sentence, but the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason it's there is because the fruit of the Spirit is actually the contrast of something else. The contrast of what starts in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5. This is what it says in verse 19. I'll just read it for you. Listen to me. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Works of the flesh. If you've been here for any amount of time, uh, we've talked about the flesh before. Let's just, just for our sake of review, let's just say the flesh, as best we understand it, it's doing anything apart from God. It's doing what comes natural to us. The thing about the flesh is typically when we become a Christian, what happens is before that, we're dead to God. We're spiritually dead. The only thing we know how to do is what comes naturally to us. So what we've learned about how to handle life, its issues, what come at us is really, for the most part, would fall under this list, works of the flesh. Now, some of them might be nicer than the list that, that Paul gave us. This isn't an exhaustive list. But the idea is that it's stuff we do in our strength. Now, what happens when we become a Christian is we, we, uh, we are born again, spiritually made alive. God comes and takes residence in our spirits, makes us alive. He starts working from the inside out, changing us. The Holy Spirit is in us, starting to empower us to live a life with God and in his power. And so when we do things that come naturally to us, what we've always done, it falls under this category typically, works of the flesh type stuff. Really what it is, it's like practical agnosticism. It's kind of, we just practically, we believe God, but, but as we're living, it's kind of like God's there, but he's not really active in my life. It's not really a part of what I'm doing. That's like works of the flesh. It's practical agnosticism. Here's the thing. Part of the Christian life is basically learning what God says about every part of life and learning how to live, empowered by him, a new life. And so the contrast is the fruit of the Spirit. So when we believe God and do what he says, those things start to become operative in our life. But Jesus wants us to know that the works of the flesh, like unforgiveness. Now, unforgiveness isn't really a word, but in the counseling books I looked at, they like to use it. I'll say this word, not forgiving, choosing not to forgive rob us of a vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. The works of the flesh, like not forgiving, can rob you of a sweet, vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. You'd say it like this. No forgiveness, no fruit. Repeat that after me if you wouldn't. No forgiveness, no fruit. Say it again. See, because the works of the flesh, like not forgiving, can rob you of a sweet, vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. But choosing to forgive clears the way for new, vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. I want to talk to you a little bit more about unforgiveness and forgiveness. Uh, a man by the name of, his last name is Clinton, Tim Clinton. Uh, he's the president of a Christian counseling organization in America. Um, defines unforgiveness in these terms. He says, unforgiveness is a state of resentment, bitterness, hatred, hostility, anger, fear, and stress towards an individual who has transgressed against another in some way. Do you guys notice, I gave you the works of the flesh, right? What, what, those descriptions are inside that description of a state of unforgiveness, correct? Yeah, so, so although Paul doesn't reference it in that passage, Unforgiveness would be in the category of the works of the flesh. And no forgiveness means no fruit. But choosing to forgive clears the way. Look what, look what um, 
forgiveness can be a really confusing topic, so I'm going to give you what forgiveness is not and what it is. First and foremost, this is, this is why we're called to forgive. First, uh, this is from uh, Neil Anderson's book, Steps to Freedom in Christ. It's a great book. Um, Neil Anderson is also a Christian counselor. This is what he says. He says, We are to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. That's what the Scriptures call us to do. And forgive as we have been forgiven. Okay. Go in there. Help me get... Go, let's go a little bit farther. All right. Here's another important thing. Forgiveness affects our freedom. See... There's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're not going to go to it, but Paul basically talks about how he is basically saying, I'm going to forgive whoever you forgive in your church. And then he goes on and he says, now, and this is why, because you need to know the devices of Satan. And this is important. Forgiveness is not just some kind of headspace thing. Forgiveness is not just even internal heart space thing. What it is, is it is battle with the enemy. There is a spiritual war at work for, against you, Satan loves the fact that you might be a Christian, but your life is not vibrant, that you are not experiencing any spiritual fruit in your life. Satan loves that, and Satan wants authority over your life. He wants control over your life. He wants to keep you in a state of unforgiveness. But when you choose to forgive, you are relinquishing uh, control. Satan is losing his control, and the Lord is given full authority in that place in your heart. So forgiveness is a few other things. First, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, sometimes you hear forgive and forget, right? At best, forgetting is something that happens after forgiveness, and it's a long-term byproduct of forgiveness. See, forgiveness is about healing the wounds that you have suffered from someone else. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also a choice. It's a decision of the will. Now, you might say, Jeff, that sounds really hard. Let me give you a little encouragement. If God requires you to do something, as a Christian, he's, remember I said he's giving you the Holy Spirit? Then it's something you can do. See, this is also something you really need to know. Not forgiving, it actually really doesn't hurt the, the person that you're not forgiving. In reality, what it's doing is it's hurting you. Sometimes you might think, yeah, but Jeff... I, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. The reality is, if you haven't forgiven somebody, you're the one that's hooked on that person and what they're doing, what they've done to you in the past, and what they've done is continuing to hurt you. And so you need to let them off the hook. What you're really doing is you're letting yourself off their hook. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. Now, this one's a hard one, right? This one is really hard because we all live with the consequences of sin. That's ununderstood. But this is the idea. The choice is really whether we're going to live in the bondage and bitterness of unforgiveness because of someone else's sin against us or if we are going to choose to live in the freedom of forgiveness. See, the consequences of sin are there. It's our choice, what we're going to do with the effects of that sin against us. And this is really important. The cross makes legally and morally right forgiveness, forgiving another person. When Jesus died, he died for all sins once for all. Now, here's an important thing, too. Jesus, Jesus did not choose to hold his, the sins of people against him, did he? On the cross... 
This is, what, this is what he said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He didn't say, I will choose to forgive this person after they feel bad about it. No, the forgiveness was already available. So forgiveness is living with the consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold someone's sin against you any longer. And what that means is basically when you choose to forgive, you are letting go of what somebody else has done to you in the past. And as a result, what you're saying is I am choosing not to bring this up every time I interact with you. I, am, I have forgiven you, and so every time you do something that, that, that hurts me, I am, I am not going to say, see, it's just like what you did before. You've already forgiven them of the past. But it's important. Forgiveness is not saying, I'm just going to continue to live with the abuse of what people have done to me. That's a whole other issue. There's two things. Oftentimes people for, uh, confuse reconciliation with forgiveness. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship with another person. Somehow, uh, two parties have been offended. There's something in between them. As a result, um, their relationship has been affected. Reconciliation is the restoration of that relationship, to, and it takes two parties to, have, to be reconciled to each other. Forgiveness takes only one person. Forgiveness needs to be done from the heart. And what I mean by that is that this is the, probably the, one of the hardest thoughts about forgiveness. It means that you actually need to take the time to think about who's hurt you. You actually need to take the time to think about who's hurt you in your past, what they did, and how it made you feel. And it's really important because if you don't do that, it's just kind of headspace stuff. But the reality is, is there is steep heart-level, soul-level wounds in your life. And do you not see that... No forgiveness means no fruit. If you are living in a state of unforgiveness, you are being robbed of a vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. And so you need to get to that level where you actually think about what people have done to you so that, and how it made you feel, so that when you choose to forgive them, you're choosing to forgive them for what, how it made it feel. Down to that level, emotional welling up, emotions welling up so that the healing power of forgiveness goes to the heart level of your soul. That's where it needs to be. It's not just a headspace thing. Forgiveness comes from your heart. And this is the last thing I would say to you. Don't wait to forgive. Remember, Jesus didn't wait to forgive from the cross. And don't wait till you feel like forgiving because here's, here's the reality. You probably won't ever get there. You probably won't ever get to the place where you feel like forgiving. But when you choose to forgive... The reality is Satan loses his hold on you. God begins a healing process in you. And real, vibrant, spiritual life can come. Real freedom and real fruit can grow. On that thought about fruit, you know, I'm not a gardener, so I had to do a little research on this. But gardeners have been doing thing, something for thousands of years, all the way back to the time of Jesus and before that. And they do it to actually maintain the life of a, of a plant. To maintain the life of a plant. Not just to maintain it so that it's, that it's healthy, but also when they do this, the fruit that comes from fruit trees grows bigger and sweeter. What is it? Anybody know? Pruning. Pruning. See, 
Gardeners prune plants. Now they'll prune leaves and they'll prune branches and they do this because it actually helps focus the life and energy of that plant. And the more life and energy that is put to the parts of the plant that are still there, the more likely that the fruit that's there is going to get larger and sweeter. And isn't that what we want in our lives? Now, here's the thing. Gardeners, when they also prune plants, they're looking for something in particular. This is not normal. Well, it's not good when it's on the plant. They're looking for a thing called sucker branches, sometimes called sucker roots. Now, what these are is these grow down at the base, just, up, just above the ground near the roots of the plant. What happens is, is a plant will grow this branch off, of its, off of, its, of its base, and it doesn't under moments of stress. Could be overwatering, underwatering, bad soil conditions, parasites, you name it. But the plant does it because it thinks it needs to do it to survive in order to live. And so it grows, it grows this branch. And as it grows, you know what happens as the, as the branch continues to grow? It starts to take all the energy, all the life, from the tree, and the rest of the tree starts to lose its energy, starts to lose its life, slowly begins to wither and wilt, and its capacity to grow fruit is lost. Isn't the sucker branch kind of like the works of the flesh in our life? See, works of the flesh, we do it under moments of stress. When somebody hurts us, what do we do? We get angry, we get bitter. We hate them. We do it because we think we need to survive, to protect ourselves. See, the works of the flesh are just like the sucker root on a tree, just like the sucker root on a fig tree. And what, just like a sucker root on a fig tree, sucks the life away from the fig tree so that it cannot have vibrant life and cannot grow spiritual fruit, the works of the flesh rob you and I of a sweet and vibrant spiritual life and its sweet fruit. Choosing not to forgive means no fruit, no forgiveness no fruit. But choosing to forgive clears the way, just like a gardener pruning a soul. You're pruning your soul when you, when you forgive, and it clears the way for a vibrant spiritual life and a sweet fruit. So, I'm going to end our time with this thought. You started here, you're saying, Jeff, my life is good, but it's not great. That's where you're at. That's awesome, and this is why. Maybe it's the works of the flesh that are robbing you of a sweet spiritual life. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Now, I'm not saying that it is, and this is why, because I'm not saying that this is the only thing. I'm not saying that you're here today. You could just be in a season. That's very possible. Maybe you need to take some time and actually read Galatians 5, 19, 20, 21 for yourself and ask God, to, to talk to you about maybe there's another work of the flesh in, operative in your life that needs to go, that you need to prune. But maybe it's forgiveness. And you know how I know if it might be forgiveness? Is when I said to you, when I talked about forgiving, when I suggested that you need to forgive somebody, a name, a face, somebody came up from your heart to your mind. I would hold on to that person right now because I want to encourage you to forgive them. And for those of you that are having a sweet spiritual life right now, things are awesome. You need need to know that there can be something that's going to rob you in the future. And so you need to learn how to forgive. You need to be a forgiving person. 
And those of you who are here who aren't even sure if you're, you have a relationship with Jesus, I want to help you with that. Come see me, Walt. Talk to somebody else that you know as a Christian here, well, and uh, we can help you with that. But you also need to know that once you become a Christian, forgiveness is really important. And then, like I said, that person that, that's here that's saying, you know, I'm not, I've got a good, life, a good spiritual life, but not great, not vibrant, not sweet fruit in my life. I've given a handout to every one of you. And on it, it says, for those of you listening online, the handout says, no forgiveness, no fruit. And then it's got one of our passages from today, uh, Mark eleven twenty five. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him or her. Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. <laughs> and then on the back, there's a prayer of forgiveness. And, um, and basically it says, Lord, I forgive. And then it gives you the opportunity to name the person for. And then it gives you the opportunity to state specifically what they did and how it made you feel. And then it goes on, it says, I take authority over the enemy, and in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrected life, I take back the ground I've allowed Satan to gain in my life because of my attitude with, and then you name the person again. And then it says, I give this ground back to my Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, Maybe some of you here today need to actually spend the time to actually write out, ask God to reveal where unforgiveness is in your heart and who it's for, and make a list of who's hurt you, what they did and how it made you feel, and then walk through this prayer for each one of those people. And then you need to make it the practice of your life. Uh, those who are forgiven much, forgive much. That's what the scriptures say, or, and uh, is, is what we understand the scriptures to teach. And so we all need to be people who practice forgiveness. So as people offend us, um, we need to practice forgiving. And the reason I give you a prayer to do it is because it is a spiritual activity. It is not just a headspace thing. You're not just going to say in your head, oh, I've forgiven them for what they did. You actually need to take the time to make sure that no wound goes to the level of your heart and starts to take ground away from the Lord. So, did a person come to your mind? Did a, did a few people come to your mind? I want to help you right now. I want to lead you in a prayer, and then I'll lead a prayer for all of us, and we'll close out our time together. All right, pray with me. If you're here right now and you're saying, you know what, Jeff, I know there's at least one person I need to forgive, well, then I'm going to lead you in this prayer that, from this uh, uh, paper that I've given you, and I would encourage you to follow along with me. So I'll start, Lord, I forgive, repeat that. I forgive, name the person. Four, state what they did and how it made you feel. I take authority over the enemy. Repeat that. And in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrected life, I take back the ground I have allowed Satan to gain in my life because of my attitude with, say their name again, And I give this ground back to my Lord, Jesus Christ. If you prayed that with me, I just want to encourage you. God has begun a healing work in your life. And I want to encourage you that a vibrant, sweet spiritual life is available. And that you have made a step to clear the way for that to happen. And I pray... Uh, Father, for all of us, that we would be a forgiving people. God, I pray that um, we would see that as people who have been forgiven much, all of our sins, you have made the way for us to experience real freedom, real healing, and real wholeness. 
You've made a way for us to have a vibrant spiritual life and a sweet fruit and to clear the way of the things that have robbed us of that and can continue to rob us of that, like unforgiveness. So Father, may we be a people who are quick to forgive so that Satan has no opportunity to take authority in our lives, but that we remain a people under the lordship of Jesus Christ for his glory and our joy and, 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 uh, and life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.